0: To solve the problems of the world or the problems of our relationships, we have to find ways that are outside our what we've learned to do. We have to find new ways. And this is part of what the psychedelics do for us is they loosen up the neural connections so we can think more creatively and find different networks and different connections and different ways of being. And this is the challenge for us. How do how to find other ways of being than the ones we've developed to survive.
1: Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves men this way. Have you ever experienced a transformational psychedelic trip? Have you ever experienced a traumatic psychedelic trip? Might you just be curious about the world of psychedelic therapy and whether it might benefit you? Well, in this episode, my brilliant guest is Dr. Rachel Harris, and she and I mine these questions and more for wise insights that could make a meaningful difference in your life. In a world of many elders, but few true elders, Rachel Harris is a true wise elder. She's the author of two books, Listening to Ayahuasca, and her latest book, Swimming in the Sacred, Wisdom from the Psychedelic Underground. She's also a psychotherapist, having been in private practice for 40 years. She spent 10 years in an academic research department where she published more than 40 scientific studies and peer-reviewed journals and received the National Institutes of Health New Investigators Award. Now, once only associated with 1960s counterculture, the use of entheogens or psychedelics, is currently edging toward the mainstream with more than 30 million people, including myself, in the United States having used psychedelics, according to a 2010 national survey. You may have heard or seen something from best-selling author Michael Pollan. He wrote about his trips, And the National Institutes of Health is studying the efficacy of psilocybin and MDMA for treatment of PTSD, addiction, depression, and end-of-life anxiety. And it's really an exciting time in this domain. Now, Rachel Harris, who, in addition to being a psychotherapist and author, is also a researcher of psychedelics. And she cautions us in her book, Swimming in the Sacred, That there is wisdom in danger of being lost as our legal and medical institutions embrace these extraordinary medicines. Her book offers a revelatory look into the past half-century of psychedelics use via in-depth interviews that Harris conducted with women Female elders who have worked underground guiding sacred and theogenic, and we talk about what that word means, but sacred and theogenic journeys to cultivate insight, healing, and spiritual development. I absolutely loved my conversation with Rachel. She is a delight. She has great insight into the psychedelic experience, both through her own personal experiences and a lifetime of research and study and through her intimate conversations with these fascinating women who've been guiding psychedelic journeys, in some cases for well over half a century. If you have any interest in psychedelics, I am confident you'll enjoy this episode and be served well by it. But before we dive in, I got two things. First, men. Elevate 2024 is right around the corner. Now, I can't even begin to capture what a profound impact Elevate is having on the men who choose to take the courageous leap and go on this year-long coaching journey with me. Now, this will be my fourth year offering this to a very small group of men, and I've already had about 30 men experience this in the past three years. Now, these are men who, in many cases, have already seen meaningful success in their lives, and yet something was still just missing just off. They have felt somehow strangely disconnected from themselves, from their lives, from their authenticity, wearing masks and putting up well-meaning facades, but facades that just hide the deeply beautiful and sensitive men, the powerful men that they really are. And these men often felt disconnected from their, their real authentic power, despite whatever their job titles and external successes. These men often felt disconnected from their intimate partners too. The men who've joined me in Elevator typically anywhere from their mid-30s all the way up to men in their 60s, whatever their background, whatever their pain, one essential truth has connected all these men. Something inside them finally decided they need to shift their lives in a big way. Now there's so much more I could say about the challenges that all of us men tend to face. And I'm going to do so in a profound episode uh, upcoming, and I'll talk more about uh, Elevate and that experience in future episodes. But I just want to say right now that if you're a man who's genuinely ready to stop going it alone in your life and you'd like to go on an inspired adventure for an entire year with me, a year in which you encounter yourself in profound ways, you confront and heal old wounds that have been sabotaging you. And you activate the parts of you that are necessary to elevate your life in the ways most meaningful to you. So stay tuned for more details of Elevate 2024, my year-long coaching adventure for men committed to thriving. You can get a sneak preview and even apply early if you like at brianreeves.com elevate. It's brian with a y, reeves.com elevate elevate. We'll only have 10 spots available and we expect hundreds of men to apply when we start really promoting this in September and October. So 2024 is right around the corner. Consider applying early brianreeves.com elevate and commit to making 2024 the year that changes everything for you. Okay. Second thing, it's time to read a recent review on the podcast. Because your reviews matter. They help this show bring in more listeners, help me continue attracting compelling and interesting guests, and your reviews ultimately help me make this a better production. God willing, someday it starts generating some revenue due to more reviews. So we're all served by your leaving a review even one sentence. It's the full life cycle at play. So if you hear me read your review, please email me at support at brianreeves.com or just contact me through my website, brianreeves.com. And you'll get free lifetime access to either my Love, Sex, Relationship Magic program or the Boundaries program. Relationships suck without boundaries. All right. Here's today's review. It's from Burgundy, Italy. I don't know. It might be Brandy, Italy. I'm not sure. BRG, Andy, Italy, something like that. Uh, Anyway, uh, here's the review. As a woman, it's written by a woman. I am not too much, that's how she starts the title. I heard about Brian a while back when I started digging into men's work out of curiosity to know what men experience and go through. I've been married for 15 years now and as I've listened to his podcast and also read his book, I've gained so much insight. This podcast has helped me see my husband with other eyes, has also helped change my way of communicating with him. How my ways of expecting things to be a certain way have not helped my relationship at times. Brian is honest and helps me so much understand a lot more of how men think. I've also been able to see that as a woman, I'm not too much, what kind of things my feminine side craves from my husband's masculine side, and that all I have to do is learn to communicate better. Learning to stay firm when it comes to my needs and knowing why I ask what I ask from my husband is so helpful. It's like having a map of my feelings and also simultaneously understanding where my husband is coming from as a man. I love this podcast. So, Burgundy, Italy. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate the thorough review. And you know, for anyone listening, even one sentence is amazing. But if you want to throw a, something profound out and detailed like that, fantastic. Uh, Burgundy, Italy. If you hear this, please contact me for free access to either of those programs. And if that's not you, please do write a podcast review in your podcast app. Because if I read yours on a future episode you'll get free lifetime access to one of my courses as well. I look forward to reading your review. Now, back to my conversation with Rachel Harris. Please take a deep breath and stay present with us all the way through to the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. Dr. Rachel Harris, I'm truly honored to have you on Men This Way, welcome.
0: Thank you, thanks for, for the invite.
1: And I, I I want to start by actually asking you about the island that you live on. I I shared with you before we started recording that I I read in the introduction to your book, Swimming in the Sacred, you, you brought, you bring us in the reader into a little bit of your island life. And I'm I'm looking at you on this video screen and I see that glorious tree behind you in in the, in the, in the, in the. your, your, I don't know if it's your backyard or front yard, but t- tell us a little bit about where you live, and about that island, about your home.
0: Well, will, will this work if I turn? This is. Oh
1: wow, that is beautiful. Yeah. That is. Yeah. I'm, so I'm looking at a. There's a. There's a. Is that a lake on the island, or is well, that it, it, a it, waterway? It is
0: actually a lake, okay. and it's a, it's a freshwater. We call it a pond, but it's a mile long, and it's 50 feet deep. So it's really a a a fjord. You know, wow. it's cut out of the granite and then Car- across- carved by glaciers. Yeah. Yeah. And um and volcano eruption, you know, billions of years ago. And then across the street is the Atlantic Ocean. Mm. So I'm um, seven miles off the coast of Maine.
1: Wow. I mean, it sounds <laughs> it's it looks beautiful. Sounds rugged.
0: It It is. It is rugged. I mean, we're pretty far away from reasonable medical care. And uh, we sometimes have Uh, trouble getting green vegetables and, Mm. you know, food.
1: (laughs) And and you're there year round, even through the winters. No,
0: no, no. I'm a wimp. No, no. Let's not get carried away.
1: Okay. When do you bail out? It gets
0: cold and I leave. I bail out.
1: September, uh, October, November?
0: I I last until about right before Thanksgiving. Okay. And and that's when my water pipes begin to freeze and I get kicked out. Yeah, oh, this wow. is really a summer cottage. And and then I come back. I'm the first um, seasonal person who comes back mid-April. Okay. So I'm determined, but, you know, I bail out.
1: You have limits. You told <laughs> me before. That's
0: right. I have limits. You have
1: limits. Um, where do you go uh, in the winters?
0: Well, I go to, I go, yeah, I have a daughter in New York. So okay. I go there and then, and then, but I don't last long there. And I, I go to the San Francisco Bay area.
1: Okay. So you, you, uh, you fall in New York, you autumn in New York, and then you uh,
0: winter winter, winter
1: in, 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 the the Bay area in
0: the Bay area. Bay area. I'm retired. With
1: so. New well, I, I'm, I'm, I got to admit, I'm a little envious of where you get to live, at least through the summer uh, season. It just looks beautiful. It's, uh, my, my, it's funny. My, my, the first thing my wife would wonder about is healthcare. Where's the hospital?
0: Oh, oh, it's a 20 minute ride on a dirt road. Uh-huh. A forty-minute boat ride wow. and an hour drive.
1: See, I, that kind of excites me for some bizarre reason. It's probably why men oh, don't no. live as long as, as women. And, well, Whereas and
0: men- then the then the bad news is you're at a small main community hospital, which is dangerous. So,
1: right, wow. you really shouldn't
0: stop there. It's, wow. she she's right to ask that question. That is the most difficult question. Mm. Okay,
1: well, I will not tell her just on the occasion that we ever get to visit. I'll tell her yeah, later.
0: Tell her she's correct. <laughs> she's absolutely right. Yeah,
1: no, I will. She loves to hear. That's her favorite thing to hear. You're of right. Of course, honey. you're right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Rachel, we have a lot to talk about today. This is this is a subject that is is near and dear uh, to my heart. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a former military uh, officer. I was in the Air Force for ten years. And ayahuasca, DMT, psilocybin mushrooms, those specifically really played a, a crucial role in helping me get my life back, my vitality back, my laughter back in so many ways. And so, you know, this is this is um this is a this is a profound subject just for me personally, and I know a lot of our uh, listeners, some of them, this will be brand new to them, and some will th- themselves also have had some experiences.
0: Do you, I, do you have a lot of veterans in your audience? I probably should have asked this before, but.
1: I, I have veterans in my audience, yes. Good. I, I'm sure. certainly not a veteran oriented podcast, but as a veteran, I attract veterans naturally.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: So, uh, yes.
0: Well, you know, there's great concern in the psychedelic community for the well being of veterans. And and the PTSD that many are suffering yeah.
1: with, and I'm I'm very glad of that. That <clears throat> that, that there's something. Even my, my experience was was very painful. I, I didn't see combat, and yet being in the military alone, just just what you go through to to uh, assimilate into the culture, uh, and then and and then how you you we're pretty much just kicked out. You know, when our time's up, we're just ejected into civilian life, most of us, many of us. And, and it's so disorienting on the entry and the exit. And then what happens in between is also <laughs> profoundly, it can be very wounding and painful for all kinds of reasons. So, you know, I, I get emotional when I think about the struggles of veterans um, because I, I know that we're, we're, we're not well cared for. Um, I'm
0: sorry. Yeah, and I, I agree.
1: So I, I also have been long excited for uh, these psychedelic therapeutic practices to, to, to be available to men and women that experience, you know, like, like me and, 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 and far worse than what I even experienced. Um, because we are, we're suffering in so many ways, even those that don't look like we're suffering, Right. It's weird. It is a bizarre thing to live in this, like this sort of Bardo between two worlds, you know, not fully out of the military, but not fully feeling comfortable in our civilian communities. And it, it's just such a, a strange thing. So that, that, that makes me happy to hear Rachel that there's a lot of consideration going on there. And before we continue diving into all this, I want to, I want to help our listeners get to know you a bit better. And uh, the way I'd like to do that is, is to ask you just to tell us a little bit about your, your, your background and not, not just professional background, but, but some, some, some highlights, relevant highlights from your life, maybe your earlier life or, but just something some, some, some of the influences or events or, or people perhaps, but, but that, that played a significant role in, in crafting the, the, the woman that you have become and, and perhaps inform form your work as well. It's a small question. I know.
0: Yeah. Well, let me talk <laughs> about my mother. <laughs>
1: great. <laughs> Let's hear about Who
0: her. Was not a great mother, but she was a very interesting person <laughs> and she was a member of the rabbi's Bible study group and she was a member of the Quaker meeting. Mm. She was on the board of the Quaker meeting. Oh, this Mm. is all at the same time. Mm. And she was a member of the UU, the Unitarian Universalist church. And when they um, voted about, should we have a minister or not? My mother voted against it. (laughs) Interesting. This tells you a little bit about, you know, the, 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 the beginnings.
2: Mm. Um,
0: And then. So I was I was always searching
2: mm-hmm. for
0: for what I didn't know exactly what yeah. but you know I had mystical experiences and I was trying to figure out what they were and how to get more and you know as a child I mean drugs drugs were not even on on anybody's rate well almost anybody's radar mm-hmm. that early and so it was through reading and that sort of thing that I was finding some clues. And so following the clues, when I graduated from college at age 21, I went right into the Esalen uh, residential Mm -hmm. program.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And then I stayed there on the staff. This is in Big Sur. And there were plenty of Mm -hmm. drugs available. But to (laughs) go back to my mother, (laughs) she came to visit me. And she must have been in her 50s, which right now sounds kind of young to me. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I thought Mm -hmm. she was very old. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she came to Big Sur. and. she said, if I were younger, I would stay. Mm. And that's the full circle. I mean, Carl mm. Jung says the biggest impact on a, on a child's life is the unlived life of the parent. Mm. So my searching mm. was the unlived life of my mother. She did very small searching and I did much bigger searching.
1: So so when she I'm curious, what impact did that have on you when she said to you, if I was younger, I would stay? What, what did you what did your youthful ears hear? How, how did you receive that?
0: Oh, my God, my mother's going to move in.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: <it was laughs> you know, I was still in early 20s. That's not uh, on it. But uh, I realized um, I, more seriously, I realized she she was certainly a different generation mm-hmm. and didn't perceive the opportunities that I took for granted,
2: mm.
0: and um, and I I have a lot of uh, heartfelt uh, sadness for her and for even older generations. Yeah. So, for instance, in my book, if you remember, I interviewed Kendra Smith, who's the wife of the the widow of Houston Smith, who's a famous religion professor and did a lot to support psychedelic. You know, when I and she's a personal friend, I know the family and and I interviewed her about a a journey she and Houston did in 1960 with Timothy Leary. Mm -hmm. And at the at the end of the interview, you know, I'm just hanging out with her and the family. And I say, did anybody else ever interview you about this? This is sort of a historic event, this,
2: this
0: very early journey and she said very sweetly cuz and and she's a generation older than my mother mm, a little mm. bit she's turning 100 this summer. Mm. She said, "No, nobody ever seemed interested." Wow. And that's the story of that generation. Wow. Nobody was interested. Yeah. And so my heart goes out to her of course, and then to my own mother for the limitations that she grew up with and and how she um rose above many of them but not all of them not enough to to move to big sur in the late 60s <laughs> yeah yeah
1: i've it- i've been I've been, to, I've been to esalen as well
0: yeah
2: um, <clears throat>
1: um and i can really relate to my my father gave me he was a also a very curious very adventure seeker, uh, experimented with a number of religions. I mean, when I was when I was a kid, he took me to a a a Hopi reservation in Arizona. We met with a medicine man.
0: Oh he, my goodness.
1: I remember going to Ramadan dinner with him when he was, I don't know, flirting with with Islam. Um wow, ahead of his time. Very much so. And he was, and he was brewing kombucha in his kitchen back in the eighties. Wow. I was thinking, boy, Dad, if you would have just stayed with the kombucha thing, I could, I'd be the kombucha <laughs> heir. I could be the heir to the kombucha fortune. But but it was just some weird guy brewing mushrooms in his weird mushroom juice in his in his kitchen. It was gross. It so wasn't. sorry.
2: You
1: know, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Right. We. But can you say that again about, about the unfinished business of our parents? What? You,
0: yeah, Carl Young says that the Carl the Young. biggest influence on a person's life is the unfinished the unlived life that's the more accurate the unlived life of the parent mm. so do you have kombucha in your kitchen <laughs>
1: i do drink kombucha yes there you go that's really i love that i love that <laughs> well l- let's let's set the table a little bit um, because again so some of my listeners will not really be familiar with with this world and and so what are we really talking about? There's a few terms I want to make sure we're we're clear about. What are we really talking about when we talk about like plant medicines, psychedelics, also, what do anti ente- what does antiogens mean?
0: entheogens
1: entheogens and and what are we not talking about?
0: Well, we're talking about a range of medicines that are non-addictive for one thing. So that dif- even though they're classified, um, by the federal government as, you know, very dangerous. They are, in fact, not. That classification is a leftover from um, President Nixon, who started the war on drugs and labeled these drugs as very dangerous when, in fact, they're not in an, a, in an addictive way dangerous. Um, and uh, so they're mind expanding uh, or mind manifesting. In other words, they sort of, from a psychological point of view, they open the doors to the unconscious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the the expand, That's the expansion and opening.
1: And, and when we we use this word entheogen, what what are we talking about? What does that mean?
0: That that really captures the sacred quality of these medicines, and that it reveals the God within. So that's entheogen is with the the sacred. The mystery, capital M, that's mm-hmm. that's within each of us. Mm-hmm. So that sort of opens the door to that kind of a perennial philosophy of religion. So these are quite different drugs than cocaine or opioids. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a totally different class. It's every drug has side effects certainly, and some risks, even Tylenol. So right. things that we went. So there's always some risk, but these um, and these drugs have a long cultural history of being used in sacred ways. Mm. So just of maybe a couple of months ago, there was a New York Times article about a burial cave on an island off the coast of Spain, where they found some bodies, some, you know, long dead skeletons mm. remains from 3000 years ago. And they, there was enough hair left that they could do a hair analysis and they found psychotropic, Medicines, drugs like these plant medicines wow. in the hair of the people who were buried in this in this cave. And they were able to analyze that the the people had been using these medicines for the last year of their life. They could tell from the length of the hair how much was present. so the these medicines have been used um, ritualistically and as part of a sacred uh, way of being in the world. For thousands and thousands of years, I don't think we really know exactly how many thousands.
1: Yeah, we do seem to be living in a bit of a a delusional bubble here in the modern age, thinking that that these, 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 I'm also fascinated by that word medicine, medicines, that Uh, these medicines, me me and my, so so my closest friends, we will, at times, we'll, we'll get together and we'll do what we call medicine journey. <clears throat> which usually yeah. means we'll take usually just psilocybin. Um, let's see, really psilocybin, maybe MDMA, right, or yeah. sass, sassafras.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, um, we don't really do ayahuasca together. I've I've kind of left those days behind. I felt feel complete with ayahuasca for the time being.
2: Uh
1: uh-huh. um, But we use that word medicine a lot, and sometimes I've wondered: Are we just a bunch of guys getting together and doing drugs, or we, <laughs> are we just <laughs> well, using this know. word medicines? <laughs> But you know, we we do it in a thoughtful way. It's not a party for us. It is it is right. it is an intentional practice. It is an intentional. Right. You know, we don't do it and then go out to the club. We 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 rent a home and we're together and we're contained and we're. I mean, it's, we you know we we we'll dance and it's a bunch of guys. You know, there's not even women that are present when we do yeah. this mm-hmm. typically, and we're we're connecting with each other, connecting with ourselves. Like I'm just curious that the word medicines is that is that. Well, let me let me just say lucky you. Yeah, have, I know. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. To
0: have, you know, kindred spirits yeah. and together. Yeah. And this is a this I would say this is a sacred way of using the medicines. Mm-hmm. And um what's different about these medicines these these um sacred entheogens an- that's a little redundant but is that they are used in in the underground, I could say, mm-hmm. over a whole lifetime. And I like to give the example of um, Albert Hoffman, who synthesized LSD. Mm. He lived to the ripe old age of 102. He took his last acid trip at age 97.
2: Mm.
0: So I I, I don't even aspire to this. Mm. This is so Mm. beyond me. But it gives you the clue (laughs) of the use of these psychedelics over a whole lifetime. You know, we're at different stages of life. And different initiations throughout our lives, different times, maybe crises. And so people turn to these medicines for guidance and inspiration. And and that's very different at age 30 from age 60 or 97. I mean, I can't even imagine. But it's the use of them over time that I think is very unique about these medicines.
1: You're listening to Men This Way. I'm your host, Brian Reeves. I trust you're feeling inspired by today's conversation, and I want to cut in real quick and ask you a question. Are you a man in a relationship that's struggling? Maybe your partner ain't happy and you don't know what she really wants from you or how to give it to her. Maybe you're not happy, and no matter what you do, you just don't know how to make things better? And do you want to make things better? Well, if you're thinking, yeah to any of those questions, then you need to know about my new free training for men ready to create a truly thriving, intimate relationship even when you're struggling. In this free training, I teach you the three key pillars of intimacy that you must learn to embody if you wanna shift from the relationship sucking to finally unlocking the freedom desire and passion both you and your partner crave and that is possible for you and this isn't some stupid platitude like this is real i've been coaching men women and couples for over 10 years now and i'm also married to my lovely bride of eight years i know the mistakes we men make i know the misunderstandings that trip us up i know how our always good intentions too often just get us in trouble And I know what you can do and say instead of the things you normally do and say that could actually help you start to fulfill your partner's deepest desires without losing yourself or sacrificing what really matters to you in the process. I know what she needs from you on a deeper level that will help her feel safe so she can more fully open herself to you. I know you're probably dying to end whatever stubborn conflicts you keep having. Or maybe you avoid conflict and you're finally seeing that doesn't work either. I know how to help you end unnecessary conflict and do conflict in skillful ways so that you can reliably create safety and trust that ultimately results in more peace and ease and freedom and connection for both of you. If your sexual relationship is stagnant or non-existent or somehow just not deeply satisfying to you both... And you want to know how to consistently foster affection and physically, emotionally, and even spiritually fulfilling sex, then do this. Go watch my free training video at training.elevaterelationship.com. This link will be in the show notes for this episode. It's also on my website. Seriously, if you're a man who is genuinely ready to thrive in intimate relationship Watch my free training video, The Three Secrets to a Thriving Relationship, even if you're currently struggling. The link is training.elevaterelationship.com. Again, training.elevaterelationship.com. It's less than 20 minutes. It's free and it could totally change the relationship game for you. All right, let's pick up where we left off with today's guest on Men This Way you know, having experimented with different really plant medicines. I've never, I've never, I've never tried cocaine. I've never done opioids. I've never been into those. Right. Those
0: are whole different classes. Are you actually using, um, leaves or bark from the sassafras tree?
1: I, I've only tried sassafras once and it was in Uh liquid form. And, and that was actually not, not too long ago, but I, I, I've, you know, marijuana is not a good medicine for me it takes me it takes me somewhere that i don't enjoy going i don't i don't it takes me out of the moment whereas psilocybin mushrooms that's medicine for me that that and i i you know my i'm married now uh, to a deeply feeling woman a deeply sensitive and feeling woman uh, it's what I love about her, and it's what overwhelms me about her, also at times. You know, <laughs> I mean, for me being a boy, coming from a military background, you know, my uh-huh. my capacity to feel my feelings is, has been limited in in many ways, and I'm working on expanding that capacity with all different types of. But uh, see, in a moment, I, I want to explore sort of the intersection of science and mysticism. But I, I want to just share kind of what happens for me is is because I want to ask you about more the physiology, what's actually going on. But so what happens when I take mushrooms, for example, and, 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 you know, my wife and I, she, she won't take them. She's just too, it's too sense. She's too sensitive. It just doesn't, it's, it doesn't really work for her.
0: Okay. Right. Let's, let's talk about that. Okay, great. Down the road a little. No, okay, you go. We'll put, no, we'll put a pin let's and remember. then come back to yeah, it. Great. I would love there. to.
1: When I take them, wow. I, come into my body. I feel my breath. I feel something happens. And I, I understand my wife. I connect with her on a level that is almost unavailable to me outside of that experience. I mean, we, we, we're, we're doing great. We connect, we have fun. We laugh a lot. You know, we're, 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 we're we're in a good place and we're going through some hard things in our lives, but, but she and I are good. And when I, do a mushroom journey in her presence, just her and I, you know, she afterwards, she'll say, Brian, I wish you could take mushrooms for breakfast, lunch, and well, dinner. <laughs> Cause she loves.
0: Anyways, I wonder what she means. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she loves how I f- feel myself and how I feel her. Right. In that experience. So uh, let's talk a little bit, just physiologically, what is going on here? And, and And I don't know if there's like common threads of of physiological change or shift through all plant medicines or if each of them have their own different, you know, signature chemical signatures and...
0: Well, certainly there's um similarities across these medicines, and you'd you'd be wise to speak to a, a chemist about it instead okay. of a psychologist. But um but there are similarities and each medicine has its own signature. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting for me to hear you say, Well, I've worked with ayahuasca and and I'm f- finished with that for now and and you're really talking with kind of love for, for psilocybin, and for mushrooms. yeah, yeah. so I, you know there's this phrase, well, what's your med people actually ask me upon meeting uh, me, what's your medicine? <laughs> you know? okay. But it's obvious um, you have a relationship with with the mushrooms, yes I mean, it, you know the, the love Very much
1: so. comes,
0: yeah, the love comes to the gratitude comes through. Mm. And so that's part of what's, you know, nobody talks about Tylenol that way.
1: No, that's true. There's Uh, something
0: unique. Yeah, there's something unique about this way of working with the medicines that a relationship develops and that's an important part of what distinguishes these medicines as well and that quality of relationship um surfaces even when you're not under the influence because it came up just a few minutes ago when you were talking about uh, about um psilocybin journeys so it's it's a relationship that goes beyond the influence of the drug in in the plant
1: you know what this is interesting so i i there's a common f- experience I've seen with military veterans because I'm a vet and the first time I did mushrooms, this thing happened. And I had the great f- honor to, to help a friend of mine who had been in the military for 20 plus years and only recently got out, uh, t- do mushrooms for the first time. He, he did them with me in my home and, and something really fascinating happened. So I, one of the, the reasons I, I have such a love for psilocybin is what the first time I did it, Rachel, I, I laughed from a place in my body that I had never experienced laughter. Like I didn't even know I could laugh from that place. Like it was a deep full, it was a full bodied, full soul laughter that I don't know if I, maybe when I was a kid, I laughed that way, but, but life just beat that out of me. And the military certainly, you know, a lot of guys can relate to not being able to cry. But many of us don't realize that we're not really fully laughing either. We're not fully experiencing our joy. Yeah, We don't really, we don't notice that part. Our joy is also cut off at the, at the neck. And so, and this happened to my friend as well he had a a, a laughter erupted him. And he he shared with me after, he's like, Brian, I don't don't even feel like that was my laughter. And I was like, my my brother. That was his own laughter. That came from your body. That's yours. Mm -hmm. Right? So again, maybe just high picture, even just psilocybin, big, big picture. What's happening in our bodies, our brains, just big picture what you know about that. The big
0: picture is that the default mode network in the brain is quieted. And that's, that's the, the network in the brain that maintains our sense of self, our life story. This happened to me when I was 10 years old. It sort of maintains our, our identity and our ego. And that includes (laughs) all the defenses that we've built up in, in our personality, in our psyche and in our bodies. And, um, and so if that if the default, the DMN, the default mode network is quieted, then our defenses are lowered Mm-mm. and we're more open. We're less attached to one constricted way of being. And so we're more open. And so that allows this mind manifestation, this openness to the unconscious, to, to a childhood that we've probably forgotten or not been in touch with, it opens the doors. And so it's unpredictable what's going to emerge. And right. so it's wonderful. You know, that's great fun when it's laughter mm. and sometimes it's trauma and sometimes mm. it's a past life. And sometimes it's talking to someone who's died. You know, there's mm. really no way of predicting or controlling yeah. what's going to emerge.
1: Well, that's interesting. And maybe we could circle back to, to my, to my wife because we, we, we did do mushrooms early in our relationship and, and, uh, she, the first time she had a wondrous experience and the second time she didn't, the second time, some, some old pain came through, old trauma came through and, and we, we were not in the awareness of, of the importance of integrating afterwards. You know, I think that's probably one of the great, I don't know, errors or mistakes. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's, it's the thing that people overlook a lot when we're doing these kinds of journeys is we don't allow for integration time or practice or, or, uh, support. Was, what,
0: what, can I just ask, was this, did a trauma emerge that she hadn't known about? Was it a surprise?
1: It was a surprise. It was a suppressed largely. Yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. So integration is not enough when, mm-hmm. when that, yeah. when those floodgates open, she, at that point, that really calls for therapy. Yeah. You know, in the, in the, um, in the university study teams, the integration sessions are three at the max, four or five. I mean, a lot mm. of the subjects say I needed more integration sessions. Yeah. But what they really mean is some something came up that I, I need to work on, I need therapy for this. Yeah. And so when people have a sort of a, a recovered memory of trauma and things are opened up that they didn't even know about, that, that really requires working through, which is more than it. I mean, you know, I've been a therapist all my life. So, of course, yeah. I I believe in mm-hmm. therapy. I'm a proponent of therapy. And so that requires more. And so integration it isn't enough mm-hmm. when that happens. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing I want to talk about, and, and of course, we never know when something's going to emerge. And, and that's then that's pretty scary to go back there and say, I'm going to do more of this. Yeah. You, You really need a lot of support to work that through, or else sometimes people are just re-traumatizing themselves with the same Mm -hmm. traumatic experience and ceremony after ceremony, and that's not working anything through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wanna just pause a minute and talk about dose because um, some people who are very sensitive require a, a smaller dose. They do better with a smaller dose. They're just more comfortable. Things are just more manageable. Mm -hmm. They're not. They're. It's not as overwhelming. And the American culture is very. You know, I call it the cowboy dose. I think it's called a heroic dose. More (laughs) is better. you know, more is better is the philosophy of our culture. And for some people who are very sensitive. That's really a mistake and can turn them off to the whole thing. So, um, and it's, you know, I warn, I warn couples who are going skiing, downhill skiing, mm. for the woman, don't try and keep up with your husband. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More women, you know, break a leg trying to do a, a hill that they're not ready for to keep up with yeah. the man in their life. And it's sort of the same thing.
1: Yeah. medicine. Well my my wife uh, is is a therapist as well and she's been going to therapy for years and and so I I I I it she <clears throat> I, I think that experience would have been far more traumatic for her had she not had therapeutic yeah. support after so I 1000%
0: So she had that concur. through Did that turn yes. her off of um mushrooms completely was that the last of it
1: That was the last of it and you know, but my my wife is her 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 whole system, her physical system, is very sensitive to any kind of medicine, even Tylenol, right. even right. antibiotics, even like anything that she puts in her body. Right? Uh, can I mean she, she her skin can break out in, into uh, rashes, and I mean she's just she just has a very sensitive constitution, and so right. you know we we've 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 decided uh, for now anyway. Um, you know, we, we may work with a therapist at some point to do some kind of MDMA journey in, in a therapeutic context. She, she'd feel safe doing that. Um, but for now our journeys are limited to, you know, I'll, I'll do mushrooms and I don't even do a heroic cowboy. I like cowboy dose. That's fun.
0: <laughs> I don't do,
1: I really don't do cowboy doses anymore.
0: Maybe I should
1: say rodeo doses. <laughs> <laughs> rodeo dose. That's fun. I, uh, yeah, I just, I'm just wanting to connect with my wife, connect with my body, you know, have this, it's, So so much, so much magic has come from my, 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 I mean, a lot, this podcast, honestly, this work that I do with men, a lot of it has come out of, out of weekends of, of spent with other men doing medicine ceremonies and, and allowing inspiration to come through. So it's, I mean, this has changed my life.
0: Yeah, I, hear it. I so,
1: hear it. So many ways. And, and I'm curious. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about the, 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 science part, shutting down the default mode network. I mean, it makes sense that, you know, laughter can erupt because there's no judgment around it. There's no, yeah,
0: there's, less, there's less judgment.
1: There's, it's just, yeah. it's allowed to just express through, through, through me. And, um, but I've had. You know, I've, my DMT experiences have also been, well, I've had two different kinds of DMT experiences, right? There, there's two different kinds of DMT. There's, there's, I don't know, regular DMT. I don't know. (laughs) Is that what we call it? Regular DMT? I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure. And then there's the five MEO DMT, right? And those have long chemical names that they stand for, but I've done both DMT, regular DMT, I wasn't that interested in. I saw a bunch of weird things. It was like someone turned my brain inside out for a few minutes and I saw all these yeah. weird shapes and things. And I honestly, I wasn't that, okay, interesting, but so what? Whereas 5MEO, I, you know, I, 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 long story short, you know, I shattered. I, it was like, it was like, I, I, I it, it was, you know, I became one with the universe as they say <laughs> in extreme shorthand, a lot of, a lot changed for me. After that experience. But, but the question that I have for you, Rachel, is what do you believe, what do you know or believe are the, are the sources of these phenomenon, whether it's, you know, seeing your brain turned inside out from regular DMT or shattering and, and, and having a mystical experience from five MEO or, or the, or the, the vision experiences of ayahuasca or the, for me, like the connecting experiences of like, the, what what this now? Now we're in the mystical realm. What, what, what is that? What's happening? Where's that coming from? Again, I know these are small questions. That with small easy questions?
0: Answers. Are you kidding? This is the biggest question, <laughs> yeah. and nobody can answer that. No, this is the big question and quest. I mean, this has been a quest through through you know centuries for this kind of experience, and and. Uh, you know, and then the downside of it is the, the women I interviewed for the book who had been working underground for a long time, they said, well, now people are calling and saying, you know, I'd like to come in and do a journey because I'd like a mystical experience. Well, mm. you can't just order it up. It's not <laughs> like a diner. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. So um, there's been, I think, in a way, too much emphasis on the mystical experience as it's defined by the questionnaire, the the ego disillusion and the sense of unity it's certainly it's wonderful and you know what people have these experiences all the time that's the that's the other thing that doesn't get talked about enough is that um there there's some look up um there's a paperback book called based on research called quantum change and it was based on a study where psychologists put an, an ad in the paper asking for people who had had a mystical experience this was in the 90s 1990s and and people responded this had nothing to do with psychedelics or entheogens it's completely spontaneous experiences and um, people changed their lives as a result of these experiences you know their priorities changed you'll recognize this evidently this was part of your life Mm -hmm. their priorities in life changed their values changed Many of them changed their occupations. They worked for nonprofits. They were more environmentally active. I mean, it's, it's a standard list. And and William James talked about this in the turn of the 1900s as um, a conversion experience. It changes a person's whole life, but we don't really know the mechanics of it. Uh,
1: that's a question that I, I wanted to explore with you. Is Is the transformational potential? for these medicines you, you, you spoke about in your book, you shared in your book, swimming in the sacred. One of the things that really struck you about the women that you interviewed was there's a beautiful passage in which you talk about um, them, like you you get, I think this is a quote. Yeah. I I I called out, I get a sense that their physical bodies are less solid than the rest of us. (laughs) <laughs> They've thinned not only the veil separating worlds, but the corporality of of material existence. Like there was a a sense that these women who had been and to and to be clear for for the for our listeners, um, Rachel's book "Swimming in the Sacred," uh, subtitle: Wisdom from the Psychedelic Underground. It's a book in which in which you, Rachel, you you spent time interviewing. How, how many women?
0: There were fifteen in the core group who met the criteria, but I interviewed a bunch of other women and other people around the whole process, around who the had, whole underground community
1: who'd been doing this work for decades. Yes, decades. I mean, in some cases, more than half a century.
0: Yes. Some these of these are, women. These are the, the 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 elders.
1: Right, the elders, and so there you there was a. You you talk about, you know, I, I went into my own psychedelic searching, like ayahuasca is like, I wanted to learn, like, show me something life, you know, show me behind, show me what's behind the the veil. I, I you know, it's like, give me the matrix pill. And, you know, my first ayahuasca trip was a major disappointment and it was the best thing that could have happened to me, you know, but that's another story for another time. It's tough. Yeah. <laughs> she played a little hard to get, which I appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> and. And yet lifelong learning with entheogens is not about learning content, learning information, but rather about transformation.
0: So, so let, me, let me read some quotes from the women because that, that great, really please. does them justice. Um, There's a bigger message coming from the medicine, larger than individual psychological healing. So the women look for transformational changes that you make in life after the ceremony. So the the research teams are looking at a reduction of symptoms. Mm-hmm. The, the underground women are looking for a new life. <laughs> what are you doing wow. to bring back to the community? And so it's a much bigger picture. So here's another way to say it. We are responsible for our intentions and our choices, responsible to ourselves and to humanity. So you get a sense of the way these mm-hmm. women even hold the medicines is much bigger. It's uh, they're looking for transformation so that you come back from the journey and give to the community.
1: Well, I'm, I'm I'm getting chills, Rachel, hearing you you share this because that that stood out for me as well in your book that that you shared that you had had an experience. I forget the name of the teacher earlier in your life who was teaching self responsibility. I can't remember the name. Um, Oh, it's
0: Gestalt Therapy. It was Fritz Pearl.
1: Fritz Pearl. That's it. Gestalt. So he was teaching self-responsibility. These, these women that you interviewed, at least there was one particular woman, uh, Medrith. One woman. Medrith.
0: Correct.
1: Right. The purpose of medicine work, you asked her, is the bottom line all about taking responsibility for ourselves, for our lives? Is that what it's all about? And she says, yes, we are responsible for our intentions and our choices responsible to ourselves and to humanity. And you drew this beautiful distinction. I mean, it's, it, it, it lights me up because I've also been myself. I've, I've been down that path of, okay, yes, I have absolute responsibility for my life. And also what comes along with that is so do you motherfucker out there. You also have responsibility for your life and don't you dare So it comes with that fuck you energy of don't you dare make me (laughs) responsible for your feelings kind of thing. I mean, it even shows up in popular culture these days. There's this this whole fuck your feelings movement, which is so weird, but it's there and it's men and women alike, uh, you know, have have, wear t-shirts that say those. So why is it, why do you think, you know, you chose to interview women specifically I know there are men that have done these journeys, but, but oh yeah, you focused there men on working women. underground. You focused on women. What is that? Why do you think women have been? I don't know. I guess I'll just ask you why. Why did you focus on women? What special did they, are they holding that maybe in like in the research community it's more kind of you know man or masculine dominated, masculine you know outcome focused. It's all about. Uh, you know, you said symptom reduction problem. Let's get rid of the problems basically, you know, whereas, whereas what I'm, what I heard you say is like women, it's like, where's life now flourishing and where it wasn't before. take us into that a little bit, Rachel, please.
0: Yeah. I I felt that the women, uh, had more sensitive ongoing relationship with the plant spirits and, uh, and the plant spirits kind of dominate the sacred medicines, the Mm. psilocybin and peyote and mescaline and ayahuasca for sure that it's they really know in their bones about the relationship with the medicine with the plant teachers and um that's that's uh is certainly very different from the research teams which are male dominated still and uh And I I mean, how can an academic research team talk about plant spirits? (laughs) Mm, I understand the dilemma. (laughs) Right, right. And um, but it's it's an important part of the way the indigenous communities hold the medicines. So it really is about it's these are not considered drugs. It's 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 uh, you drink the medicine, you work with the plant to develop a relationship with the plant that then is helpful to you and becomes and becomes a plant teacher in your life and in your psyche. And there's a, I have a dear friend who's a, a Zurich trained Jungian analyst. So he's been in therapy, he's been analyzed. This is sort of, you know, this, this is real high level training. And he's been working with a shaman in Peru, a Shapipo mm-hmm. shaman for mm-hmm. six years now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And he said, um, you know, he's in a therapy session and he'll get a vision of a snake or something happening. All of a sudden he sees into other worlds that are present in the other dimensions that are present in the dimension we're in. And he says there, when that happens, something shifts in the therapeutic process and the client will open up in a different way. It will change the whole direction of the therapy. So there's this sense of, Um, working with unseen others that was Mm. um, bigger in the women's lives Mm. than in the men I interviewed underground.
1: Well, I I think that that really stood out to me too, because as I said, I went through that journey. I went through that and I see this, a lot of men in that hyper independent mindset you know, okay, yes, I I am master of my own fate, which again, you're master of your own fate. So there's no relationship there really.
0: That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah.
1: There's no, there's no relating in that. And men, a lot of men idealize that place. It's safe, I suppose. I don't know for, for, but, but whereas the gifts that I'm understanding that the, the, you know, you speak to this in your book, you write about it, you're sharing about it now. Like, like women, women seem to be more, uh, relational
0: would be the term
1: relational. Relational. Right. Yeah. And and the conclusions, the gifts that they're bringing back from these journeys bring us more into relationship with, with, with nature, with each other. Right. And, you know, I've made my way for the last 10 years or so as a relationship coach, you know i've worked with couples and men and women and boy if my biggest lesson and and also my own relationships and and what i teach is, is is the word connection helping people to create connection
0: and so a theme through our conversation has been your relationship with the mushrooms yes that that's what's come through this conversation yes so
1: it's, it is, I have a connection to mushrooms. I, that is, is, is sacred for me. And it's I, sacred.
0: And, and I want to be clear. It is not dependent on your being under the influence. It's present. I Say period. more,
1: say more about what you mean it's by that. It's
0: not a drug uh, side effect. Right. It, it, it lives in you. Yes. Beyond the ceremony.
1: Absolutely. I, I laugh. I laugh I have a laughter now that I do not take for granted every day. Yeah. Every day I laugh from that place that I first discovered under mushrooms. And I, I'll do only a few mushroom journeys in a year. Um, right. You know, it's not something I need to do very often. And,
0: and that's how the medicine is used underground. It's hmm. it's used very periodically, you know, or, you know, there's a fine tuning or a different situation yeah and you feel called so it's something that goes yeah. way beyond the ceremony way, be, yes. way beyond the drug effect what would be yes. studied as the drug effect it goes yes. way beyond
1: yeah, and even even like like ayahuasca I, I, although i i feel complete with that experience i did it maybe 25 times over a period of about a year or two years and and That's boy a lot. <laughs> I, I i went for it this was again in, in the few years after the military so i was yeah. you know i was boy, I was hurting and desperate. And, but um, I felt complete. And I know that there may be a time where I'll be called back into a ceremony. It'll be very circ- circumstantial, be the context will be right. Like everything will just be right. And I'll, I'll, right. I'll listen. will yeah. listen.
2: Um,
1: but I'm, I'm curious. I want to come back to this. We we're talking a bit about the research world of psychedelics and entheogens and, and 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 what do you, I'm very excited about that, as many people are, that that's yeah, happening
2: absolutely. right.
1: And though, you you speak to there, there's a risk that that something may be lost in the the current movement to bring psychedelic work into the realm of like regulated therapeutic care. What What are you what, what is that risk of being lost?
0: well f- for one thing the sense of working with the medicines over time is lost because this is a the research is all focused on a cost effective approach so that means the least amount of therapy the shortest term of of treatment so it's it's a period of about 3 months so you can see right there is the contrast when you talk about i work w- with the mushrooms a few times a year over time mm-hmm. it is a relate and i feel the relationship beyond the ceremony, you get a sense of, oh, this, you know, this is over time, something is developing. And the um, Mm. research teams are looking at a very specific intervention for specific symptoms. Mm. So as much as they try and be sacred, they have a sacred approach, it's very treatment oriented and Mm. and cost effective. And it has to be to be, the question is, how are we going to scale up to meet the, the incredible mental health need that's present? in in the country these days. Um, And so it has to be very treatment oriented, but something is really lost in that Mm. process. And, and part of what's lost is the quality of, you know, how are you changed over time as a result of this ongoing work with any, any of the entheogens that you know, the one that really speaks to you, how do you evolve? And, you know, as I, as I look back on the writing of this book, I wasn't clear about it when it was happening, but, you know, once it was over and, and the book was being printed, I had the kind of space to say, you know, I'm different as a result of all these interviews, not Mm. as a result of any journeys i mean i did a couple mm-hmm. but it wasn't be- because of them exactly it was the ongoing contact with these women mm-hmm. who live so close to this other world who have thin veils yeah and i think that is still unfolding in me and mm-hmm. i finished the writing of the book over a year ago mm-hmm. but i think the extent to which um i've been impacted and my belief system is changing
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it's not from a big mystical experience, it's from this ongoing contact Mm. with this other world that has become more alive for me, as it is for the women I interviewed. So there's this sense of there was a almost like a contact high, there is a contagious Mm. impact on my psyche that was just somehow more opened up. So there are these subtle aspects of working with the sacred medicines that that are just plain neglected.
1: Yeah. Wow. It makes sense. Like As you were sharing that, I, I see this vision of of, of, a, of a very disconnected society, disconnected from nature, disconnected from our bodies, um, dipping our toes into yeah. sacred waters, just dipping our toes and going, oh, that feels nice. I'm refreshed now. Taking the toe back out and then going back into our work. disconnected <laughs> yeah. world. Like, I'm good. I'm fixed. I'm, I'm yeah. okay now. Yeah. And whereas... You know, I, I, my relationship with my wife is deeply served by my ongoing practice of 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 psilocybin mushroom usage. You know, I, I will, I've experimented with uh, microdosing, even um, not diligently, not very disciplined, but you know, from time to time. But um, you know, it, that it's,
0: phrase again. You, you used a great phrase. Your ongoing practice.
1: My ongoing practice of, uh, mushroom.
0: I don't know exactly. Well, of working with, with psilocybin. Yeah. It's
1: a, it's a practice. Yeah. It's a practice.
0: It is a practice. You know, there's a chapter in the book as, as a psychologist and a therapist, I felt I had the right to to name the (laughs) chapter (laughs) what the hell is integration anyway Uh because we're all talking about it there's no definition nobody really knows am i talking about the same thing someone else is talking about but what i really want to talk about is the ongoing practice (laughs) of Mm. working with the medicines and that's what i keep coming back to and that's what you're describing and that's when the relationship grows and when people are training with an indigenous shaman it's the development of these relationships with the plants that is the is the practice of the training you want to be a shaman you work for years with different mm. plants it's a process that goes over 6 or 7 years just to get started yeah <laughs> so, yes and it's all in those relationships yeah so it's that ongoing practice
1: Uh, Which leads me to another question is, do you have a vision? I mean, how might our society safely and effectively incorporate entheogenic psychedelic? practices well, more broadly.
0: It's it, it's it's not so much a vision as this is how I console myself when I worry at night okay. <laughs> when I
2: lose sleep <laughs> over this question. Okay.
0: Because yeah. we are such a young culture and we don't have the rituals and the place, the sacred place in the culture um to for these women to have a legitimate place above ground they they still don't or mm. for the medicines to have a sacred place in our larger community. We we just have not evolved to that point. And so um, here's how I console myself. <laughs> I say, well, when someone decides they want to go to therapy, there's a whole range of therapists to choose from. And so <clears throat> I think it's going to be the same thing. When someone decides they want to explore with a with a psychedelic medicine, there's a whole range of different ways of doing it. And people seem to find the place where they fit. And I hope it will be like that, <clears <clears <throat> that the medicines will be available in many different safe ways um, so that people can find a way that works for them.
1: What would you recommend to somebody who's listening now, they, they don't have an avenue or an inroad or or a connection, or they don't know where to go. What, what would you suggest to someone who's like, "Wow, this sounds fascinating. I'd love to try mushrooms. I'd love to experience ayahuasca." Because you 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 know, you alluded to it a moment ago. There there are a lot of people who just you know took some ayahuasca and now they've set up shop. They're a shaman. Yeah, and they're leading ceremonies.
0: <laughs> this is what keeps me up at night. Don't go to them.
1: <laughs> and so, how could someone safely? begin that journey, What's what would you recommend?
0: Well, there's a search involved, isn't there? It's sort of like mm. the teacher will appear. Mm. Um, I, most large community cities have a psychedelic society. So I say, well, go to those meetings, mm. you'll meet people, you'll get lots of options. And then you have to you know, find out what the options are really. <laughs> yeah. Don't go to anybody who does not do a complete medical screening, okay? There, mm. there should be an intake that asks a lot of medical questions mm. and that and the and the person leading or or sitting should have access to a medical doctor for consultation or a nurse practitioner, someone who's medically trained to deal with the, mm. the questions about diagnoses and medications, because for some people, they shouldn't sit and do a ceremony.
2: Mm.
0: they should be excluded. Um, the other thing to ask is what music is going to be used. Mm. And and how much is the person doing the ceremony are they singing themselves which if it's an ayahuasca ceremony were they trained over many years to learn how to sing the ikaros because the ikaros are the medicine mm. the the plant medicine the ayahuasca opens you up but the healing is through the ikaros
1: the songs so, that they sing
0: the songs. So yeah. are they going to play recorded songs? That's not quite the same.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, re, I, re, I, 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 I want to just acknowledge I, I did a, I participated in an ayahuasca ceremony in the Everglades many, 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 many moons ago. And How overnight Who knows? <laughs> I, they were fine. I don't remember them. So that uh, was probably a good thing. That's
2: good. That's but what,
1: good what I do remember is somebody busted out a, an acoustic guitar, you know, and an hour or two into the ceremony and started playing 1970s, like Eric Clapton songs. And I was like, oh. no, 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 this is not, no, this is a no. And so, you know, the music, the sounds, I, I mean, that was so uh, such vital importance. Yes. So I'm, I, yes, I love that you point that important. out. it's vitally
0: important. One of the women said, one of the women underground elders I interviewed said, you have a right to ask who authorized you to serve this medicine.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So what's your lineage? Mm-hmm. How many years have you been working with this medicine?
2: Mm-hmm. Who,
0: you know, who trained you basically? Mm-hmm. Who who did you apprentice with?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What's, how did you come to this? And mm-hmm. and um, some some of the conversations that came up, uh, I think the women always a few of the underground women thought everyone who was a therapist had, had had their own therapy and I said no there's no requirement you can be licensed as a therapist without having had your own therapy mm-hmm. and she was just horrified how could that mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. Um, anybody working with these medicines should have done their own work with the medicines really know the territory taken know the medicine well at lots of different doses so yeah. that it's time to do that. Yeah. And I know that the current psychedelic therapists, they can't spend six years just getting to know the medicines. Mm-hmm. They're they're needed now. So I know mm-hmm. this is not possible, but they can be working on it.
1: Yeah. Well, I you know, I, I think a lot of a lot of people when they come to it, as I did through very, well, I mean, I guess it's the only way you can come to it these days through underground channels, right? but not through, through no really skilled gatekeepers. I mean, I think the best, the most, the most, I don't know, lineaged practice I did in the early days was I sat with the Santo Daime church in Miami for, for many months. Santo Daime is the, the religion of ayahuasca, as I like to say, um, and that, as much as I didn't want any structure because I was coming out of the military and I was like, oh, I, you know, structure be damned. Oh, no, the sh- that's highly structured. <laughs> it was, it was incredibly structured and I resisted it at first, but it actually helped me have the most profound experiences uh, yeah, with ayahuasca for, versus yeah. the opposite. The Everglades, you know, Eric Clapton song ceremony of ayahuasca. That was
0: Right. So you know you have to, to ask, well, where, where the hell was the person <laughs> leading that ceremony that allowed yeah. that? That's not um yeah, yeah, so Santa Dami is a safe way. I, I mean you're in a church structure, so it's mm-hmm. it is very structured. It is at least you know you're safe.
1: Yeah. And I, I like that you um you speak to something that I think a lot of 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 newbies to the psychedelic and maybe even some long st- Longtime practitioners, but we 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 get this euphoric sense of everybody in the world needs to do this. You know, if yeah, only right. every, if only Congress, everyone in Congress would take <laughs> mushrooms, the, we all our problems would be solved. And it's just not true. <laughs> now you're speaking
0: to my generation, right? The late sixties. <clears throat> <laughs> you know, so these are the baby radical. boomers. What a mess mm-hmm. we've made of the world. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. should be obvious that this is not true, <laughs>
1: right? And so I think approaching it with reverence. I love that you spoke. It's it is a search. I remember, yeah, when I first was drawn to ayahuasca, it was a question I just put into the universe. It was like, okay, you know, find me. Where are you? How do? I? And it, it did not take long. Right? It. And this and this was. Almost twenty years ago, so it wasn't yeah, the it, right. today it seems like it's everywhere but twenty years yeah. ago it was very no, hard, to, hard find. to find right but as soon people, as I started speaking didn't know what it
2: was yeah
1: as soon as I started speaking it into my 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 wishing my desiring my it, it she found me very quickly
2: yeah um yeah
1: and you know I had to go through some as I've shared ridiculous experiences and and to now to come to a place where I I feel in in right relationship to psilocybin specifically. So anyway, I, I, Rachel, I could talk to you for hours um, more. This This is this is so delightful and I'm, I'm so enthralled and it's such a a big subject. And I do have just a few more questions for you, but I want to just remind everybody uh, your book is swimming in the sacred wisdom from the psychedelic underground. Uh, And people can find that anywhere. Online, essentially. Oh, yes. Right well,
0: it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and that's the website. The website is www.swimminginthesacred.com. And I'll so put, the
1: great. I'll put links to that in the show notes. And, um, but just a, a few more questions. I, sure. I you know, i say this tr- tragically often. We, we live in a world of, of, of many elders, but few elders. Mm-hmm. and 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 Rachel I experience you as a as a wise elder a true elder and so it's it's truly for me a, a again tragically rare privilege and honor to to be able to spend some time with you and sit with you and and be in conversation with you and that's why I created this podcast was to give <laughs> men who don't have access to wise elders the least access at least we can hear conversations wisdom conversations. That's the ambition anyway of this, of this podcast. And, and I, I'm delighted to have spent this time with you. I've just, so just a few more questions that I would ask of, of a, of, a, of an elder. And, you know, these are troubling times, you know, I I'm, I'm generally an optimist. I've been an optimist my whole life. And, and boy, I don't know if it's just a product of getting older. We just get more scared. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know.
2: Yeah. Is, that,
1: is that a thing? I don't know. But I, you know, these seem to be troubling times. And I'm curious to, you know, when you look into our future, like, do you have hope for humanity, for the world? Do you, do you, do you, uh, some of my, the people I've asked, like some elders I've, I've, they they look and they they will say we are heading into to a great dark an unknown a period of initiation perhaps I mean what what do you see Rachel I
0: I honestly don't know but I I, I worry for the sake of my grandson of course of mm. a three and a half year old grandson mm. so what will what will the world be like mm-hmm. when he's even just and you know thirty years old I don't it's, uh, it I think I think it is a a challenging frightening time mm-hmm. a worrisome time and i don't i don't know how to go from here to where we want to be i don't know how how is this shift going to happen that we end up in a better place i don't know mm-hmm. so all, all i know how to do is my little job <laughs> and i rise to to that occasion i mean i do my little job that's all i know to do lots of people have much bigger jobs yeah so I, I think to know what we're called to do and to rise to do that, whatever it is, that's the only thing I know to do,
1: yeah. Uh, thank you for that. It reminds me of of um something my my grandmother said years ago before she died that incidentally, I heard the Dalai Lama say not long after wow. she said uh, <laughs> that this was when was it George Bush and um what's his name? uh, the vice president, Gore, Al Gore, when Bush and Gore were fighting over the presidency, Yeah. my my grandma said, you know, not everybody can do big things in this world, but everybody can be kind. Yeah. I was like, Oh wow. Grandma, that's, that's rich. That's deep. That's profound. (laughs) And it's not something typically I hear said by men, but yet
0: that's true. But the Dalai Lama does say it. And yeah. he is a man
1: and he did yeah. say it. And I heard him say that. And so yeah. um, it's just such a good reminder to, to me as well. Like this, this is my part. I'm doing my yes.
0: part. I get a sense that that's true for you.
1: Um, so thank you for that. Uh, just last question. Maybe it's superfluous. I'm not sure, but last question. Um, this is a podcast for, for men. Again, we have a lot of women listeners, um, but, I like to, to, to leave off with a question. Like what is the, what do you think Rachel is, is the biggest challenge facing men, particularly today? And, and what wisdom might you offer in the face of it?
0: Well, I, I don't think it's just men. So I I would say the biggest challenge facing all of us is our egos and how do we work with, and, and we need our egos to grow up in the world to Mm -hmm. manage You know, going to the bathroom and, you know, and, you know, just so we don't do things in public. I mean, we need we need to be socialized. We need our egos. And then how to manage not being dominated by our own egotistical ways of survival. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who talks about this Mm -hmm. is Bruce Springsteen.
1: Oh, I love Bruce. Oh, wise elder. (laughs) He's truly a wise boss. I love Bruce. And
0: he's suffered. He's got um he's been in therapy he's taking psychotropic medicine. he's taking one of the ssris for depression mm. and he talks about the ways that i learned to survive and he talks about his father kind of being a hard ass the ways i've learned to survive have also been the ways that have limited me so this is the you know the ironic twist that how we've learned to survive in the world also in in, in cages is a cage and limits what we can do. And um, he says that his persona on stage is his masculine, you know, persona It's his friends, what his father Mm. wanted him to be. It's this, Mm. you know, and then underneath he's kind of a depressed sort of sad guy, Mm. (laughs) you know, very emotionally sensitive. And so how to, how to, how to not be caught, by the ways that we have figured out how to survive.
2: Mm.
0: Because to solve the problems of the world or the problems of our relationships, we have to find ways that are outside our what we've learned to do. We have to find new ways. And this is part of what the psychedelics do for us is they loosen up the neural connections so we can think more creatively and find mm. different networks and different connections and different ways of being. And this is the challenge for us how to mm-hmm. how to find other ways of being than the ones we've developed to survive and the ways we've developed to survive are in our bodies. Mm-hmm. you can see it and a lot of men are reinforcing their um their um their defenses mm-hmm. by building up an armored body yes, and so they get they get tougher and stronger yeah. and, and and it makes it even more difficult to connect. So yeah. I'm all for health and, and fitness and all that. And I'm not really big on armoring.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't think we need more of that. Mm. So, uh, you know, how to, how to work outside in ways that um, are, are not built in from the ego. I think that's the biggest thing we face. And we are dug in egotistically. Mm, mm. So how to get out of that cage that we built for ourselves.
1: Psilocybin in the water supply. (laughs) No, I know. I know that's not the solution. We
0: thought of that in the late 60s. (laughs) All I can say is, look, it didn't work all that well. (laughs) It didn't
1: work. All right. All right. Well, Rachel... Thank you so much. This has been a delight and truly, truly, uh, I've enjoyed my time with you. And I know that this conversation will, will serve many people on the ripple effects.
0: Well, thank you for all the sharing.
1: Again, the book is Swimming in the Sacred. It's available at that URL, swimminginthesacred.com, as well as on Amazon. And yeah. uh, do you have an audiobook?
0: You know, the, the, yeah, there is an audio book out. It's probably great. on Amazon. I haven't checked. I okay, think great. Good, yeah. good,
1: good. All right. Thank you again, Rachel. It's been a pleasure to have you on Men thank this you Way. Thank
0: you so much. Okay. Take care. Good luck with your work. Thank, thank you. Thank you so
1: much. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to Rachel Harris. You can find Rachel Harris at www.swimminginthesacred.com. Of course that link and any additional resources will be in the show notes at com slash men this way podcast also remember if you want or need real transformational relationship coaching with me to help elevate your intimate relationship Go watch my free 20-minute training video. You can find it at, actually, I gave you a, a different link earlier, but you can also just find it at brianreeves.com slash training. It's Brian with a Y, reeves.com slash training. Go there, watch that video, and get started on your coaching journey with me. And if you're really in an urgent pinch, feel free to reach out through my website. Also, Elevate2024 is right around the corner. Learn more about that at brianreeves.com slash elevate finally please do consider leaving a review on your podcast app if i read your review in a future episode i'll hook you up with free access to one of my online courses and you can learn more about those at brianreeves.com slash programs so you got three links brianreeves.com slash training slash elevate slash programs and of course don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it i'm your thriving life and relationship coach brian reeves brian with a y reeves Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.